Welcome to African American Conservatives, the soul of the conservative movement, your source for news and commentary from a cultural and right of center perspective. African American Conservatives. Welcome to African American Conservatives, the soul of the conservative movement. I'm your host, Marie Strotter. Please go to ACONS, A-A-C-O-N-S, dot substack dot com and there you will find links to our commentary this podcast uh and all of the places that you can find us online so please be sure to like subscribe follow all those good things and uh be notified whenever we have new guests and new commentary so without further ado I will bring in Colonel Alan West. He is a combat veteran, uh, having served in the United States Army for 22 years. He was a member of the 112th Congress, and he served as representative for Florida. Then he served as chairman of the Republican Party of Texas. He was a gubernatorial candidate for Texas, and he's currently the executive director for the American Constitutional Rights Union, the author of three books, and the host of the Steadfast and Loyal podcast. So please join me in welcoming back to the show, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West. Good to be with you, Marie. Good to have you. So unless you've been under a rock, we know that this is Pride Month. Uh, we also know that the Bible says that pride goeth before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. And we've seen revenues fall in the millions and billions of dollars. Uh, we've seen Anheuser-Busch, uh, the Dodgers. We've seen Target. We've seen a number of these stores and brands and companies. So why do you think that they have invested so heavily in the transgender and LGBT lobby when it's costing them monies? Uh, and they are uh, financially supporting sex changes and all of this uh, really outlandish behavior. Well, it goes back to this organization, the Human Rights Campaign, HRC, which is the number one lobby group for the LGBTQ uh, plus IA, whatever alphabet soup mafia, that's what they have become. And is firmly supported by a lot of these uh, corporations that want to have a very strong environmental social governance score, this ESG thing. Uh, so there's a lot of pressure being put in on these corporations. But, you know, we have got to have the, the titans of the private sector industry that says, you know, I, I'm not doing this. I mean, I remember when Michael Jordan was asked, you know, why does he take more of a political stance? He said, well, Republicans buy Nikes too. Uh, and I don't understand why you have these corporations, Bud Light, Anheuser-Busch, like you said, Targus, Cole, uh, and uh, others that are kowtowing to this lobby group, which is really maybe less than 4% of the population of the United States of America. And even as they see these billions of dollars of economic shortfalls, they still want to hang on to it. And now we see that Target has come back and removed some of these clothing items. Now you have the uh, alphabet soup mafia coming after them. So they've got to make a hard decision about what they want to do. Do they want to stay in business or do they want to kowtow to less than 4% out there? And uh, I think that and I pray that hopefully they will make sure that they are beholden to shareholders 
and to stakeholders and not just to the ESG and HRC human rights campaign community. We're also seeing some pushback, however, from the Christian community. I mean, on social media, you're seeing mm -hmm. an effort to reclaim the rainbow. Mm -hmm. uh, I've seen a lot of people changing their avatars and that kind of thing. Um, and many are invoking family. I think uh, we've had one of our previous guests uh, who has done a whole Fidelity Month. Uh, and there's just a number of things that we're seeing online. So the faith-based community seems to be responding, but they often don't want to be confrontational. You know, Jesus was, you know, kind and meek and he loved everyone. And that's true, but he didn't leave them where they were. So um, how do we wake the church up? I mean, we're well, seeing satanic displays in Target. Yeah. That was the thing that really shocked me to see actually like Satan with the horns and everything. Yeah. A full model, you know, but he was buff. He was ripped because, you know, the T-shirt. And it was crazy. So mm -hmm. what? Can, why isn't the church waking up? That should wake people up. Well, it should wake people up. And uh, there's a great little book out there written by former California state senator H.L. H. L. Richardson that's entitled Confrontational Politics. And you cannot continue to allow one side to have the voice dictate the narrative and you don't want to show up. We have a saying in the uh, military that when you're caught on an ambush or something like that, you have to get off the X. That means that the X marks the spot where uh, the ambush site that you're on. You got to fight your way out of it. You just can't sit there and say, well, I can talk, compromise, appease my way out of an ambush. And I think that you have to see more church leaders and more people understanding that this is a spiritual battle. This is a battle of moral uh, values and principles. And if the church abdicates this position, then it's not the church anymore. I mean, this is what you're called to do. It's not about hate. It's not about, uh, you know, not loving people. But when you don't stand up and say that this is wrong, this is uh, child exploitation, this is child abuse, then you are not being loving. You're giving aid and comfort and abetting and becoming complicit with something that is very destructive. And there is no doubt that this is a movement. Uh, you just quoted what happened with uh, with Target that you know, it is a spiritual darkness. And so this is what the church is called to stand up for and to do, or else we become like uh, it says in Isaiah 5 and 20, we start to call good evil, evil good, uh, right is wrong, wrong is right, light is darkness and darkness is light. And we don't want to get to that point. You know, I saw just this morning where uh, there was a uh, online display. I don't know what store it was um, that has is selling T-shirts that says "Trans kids are sexy." Trans <laughs> kids are sexy. Yeah. That to me is just so blatant and over the line. Um, that's obvious that they are coming after our children, and yet mm -hmm. parents are still dragging their kids to drag shows and all of these kinds of things, and that's crazy. Um, and so we're. I guess I was hoping to see uh, a little bit stronger of a position from some of those who have declared candidacy. But just yesterday, Vivek Ramaswamy said that he would allow trans people to serve in non-combat roles in the military. Now, as someone who served our country honorably for in the uniform for 22 years, mm -hmm. I'm sure you have an opinion on that. Can you share that with us? 
Yeah, I absolutely have an opinion on that. And that's a very dumb statement from someone who's never served in the military because uh, you're in combat. If you deploy into a combat zone, you're in combat. That's the nature of the new battlefield. There's no such thing as, you know, the front lines, uh, especially when you're fighting against insurgency type of operations. All you have to do is look and see what is happening in Ukraine. Uh, innocent civilians are being targeted and things of this nature. So, you know, the thing is, and, and I was very fond of Vivek Ramaswamy until he made that very uh, incompetent statement because we do not need to be spending taxpayer funds to promote an ideological agenda in our United States military. Uh, we put people, I have put people out of the military because uh, they were you know, overweight. They couldn't maintain weight standards. They couldn't you know, run. Uh, a certain pace uh, in a certain time. They could not even, you know, financial uh, mismanagement. A lot of people in Congress would be put out of military because they <laughs> couldn't balance their checkbooks and things of this nature. The military is a discriminatory service. Not everyone gets to join. And that's why it's a volunteer service. And we have certain standards and criteria. If you got asthma, you can't get in there. If you got flat feet, you can't get in there. So why are we allowing people that have a mental condition, if you're confused, about whether or not you're a little boy, a little girl, the United States military is really not the place for you. Uh, and we're not going to be spending you know, tax dollars on hormonal therapies or transition surgeries or some of this other nonsense. So I was very disappointed in what uh, Vivek Ramaswamy said. And, and again, this when you talked about you know, trans kids are sexy, this is part of this child sexual exploitation that is happening. And when you hear the words coming out of the, the president's mouth, Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, Corrine Jean-Pierre, that our children are not our own, this lets you understand and believe what the left wants to do. And so you got laws being passed in a state like Washington that says that you don't affirm the uh, gender choices of your child. And I don't I don't get that, uh, how a child can choose what gender they are. That was done at birth. Uh, and not providing them puberty blockers, hormonal therapies, allowing them to have mutilation surgeries. The government, the state will take your child away from you. So this is a huge battle that we're fighting. And it's all about the sexualization of our children. And if you wanted to deter parents from taking kids to these drag shows and these really uh, sexually charged events, then the, uh, the 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 child protective services they need to step up. We need to start, you know, arresting parents for contributing to the delinquency of a minor, and you know, having them lose custody of their children. Instead of saying you lose custody of your children for playing along with this delusion, we should uh, see people losing custody of their children because of what they're exposing them to. You know, it's crazy because little kids cannot drive, they cannot get married, they cannot drink, they cannot vote, they cannot uh, sign up for military service. Can't, they can't get a tattoo. A gun. Yeah, they can't get a tattoo. They can't do all these other things. So why all of a sudden a, can a two-year-old say, you know, that they are sure that they are the opposite sex from what they were born? Um, and we just say, oh, well, we need to get you on hormonal blockers and mm -hmm. uh, cross-sex hormones. Th that seems insane to me. It is, but the, this is because of the insane agenda of the progressive socialist left. 
Uh, look, they have had the intention of destroying the, the traditional nuclear family, yes. uh, part of destroying the traditional nuclear family of mother and father. And now they want to destroy this idea of what a child is. And they want to open up children to all of their sexual perversions and things of this nature. Uh, and this is really undermining the, the fundamental morals and values of civilized society. I mean, if you think about it, they don't want to refer to pedophiles as pedophiles anymore. They're minor attracted persons. Mm -hmm. So therefore, yes, you have, you know, adults that are coming up with a marketing idea to make a t-shirt that says trans kids are sexy. Sexy to who? Okay. If anything, trans kids are mentally disturbed. That's what the t-shirts are saying. Yeah, that's tragic. Now, the other thing that June is known for is Father's Day. Mm -hmm. And you recently had a guest on and you talked about the criticality of fatherhood and the epidemic of fatherlessness. How do we begin to restore our families, particularly in the black community? Yeah, John Smith Baker heads up an organization called Fathers in the Field. And I think first and foremost, it's like with any uh, ailment or addiction that you have, you got to admit that there's a problem. Uh, and most people uh, don't want to admit that there's a problem. I was at the University of Buffalo uh, speaking there, and I said that one of the big issues and one of the cancers in the black community it was a lack of fathers, the, the whole issue of fatherlessness. And the statistics play that out. When I was born in 1961, you had 75 to 77 percent, two parent families in the black community. Today, you have like 24 percent. And I had young black students shouting me down, saying that it doesn't matter. That's that's wrong. Where are you getting that from? And so it's no need of me trying to explain to them about the policies of Lyndon Johnson and the great society that uh, implemented that. And that goes back to this purposeful and intentional breakdown of the traditional nuclear family, which Black Lives Matter said that they were against as well, because that's a construct of uh, white supremacy. I, I don't get that. And so we first have to admit that we have a problem. And then we have to start looking at these mentorship programs that we can get into the, uh, the inner city communities, especially. You know, one of the things that I noticed in my years in the military, when you have these young men that had never had positive male role models in their life. I mean, they're drill sergeants or they're senior sergeants, platoon sergeants, squad leaders, whatever. They, fit, they filled a gap that was in their lives. And, and it made a difference for them because they're looking for structure. They're looking for discipline. And when you don't have it, guess what you get? You get thousands of teenagers that take off and go to downtown Chicago and start busting up businesses and harassing people. You know, if I had ever said to my dad, I'm going to get on the bus and go downtown and, 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 and do a flash mob a bit, yeah, he would have beat me to death. Okay, he would say, you ain't going nowhere. First and foremost, pull up your pants and put a belt on. But when you don't have that in the home anymore, and the whole reason why I became an officer in the United States Army was my dad, a World War II veteran, challenging me to be the first officer in the family. So now I'm not saying that, you know, a single mom can't do it, but it is a Herculean effort. Uh, and that's why God constructed Adam and Eve, man and woman, you know, mommy, daddy, but not birthing persons and, and all this other junk that we're getting from the progressive socialist left as they deconstruct. Once again, the family and the relationship that comes from God, our father, down to earthly fathers 
uh, into the family. You know, we don't see those statistics in other communities, however. Um, I think the Asian American uh, one-parent household is at 15%. Uh, and so we see other nationalities, other ethnic groups. We see people come here from other countries who come here legally, um, but seem to fare much better. And it seems because they have a lot of family support. You see families living together. I mean, in mm -hmm. my generation, certainly yours, we saw more multi-generational families where grandmothers mm -hmm. stepped in while the parents worked and those kinds of things. We don't seem to have those supports anymore. Um, and as you say, fathers in the home making that difference. You know, I grew up in a single parent household. And one of the things that I told Stro just the other day was that how much I appreciated him because he works really hard for our family, but he also spends a lot of time with our kids. I yeah. mean, invests a lot of time and energy into them and talking to them and spending time with them. Um, and that just seems to be something that is just so critical. Um, and other ethnic groups seems to seem to manage this without any problem. Why is it so hard for our community to do that? Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if it has become a Stockholm syndrome where we have just fallen so much in love with our kidnappers that we have completely forgotten all of the things that were the foundations of our, of our society, of our black community, because we've been through some very difficult times here in the black community. Uh, but what helped us to sustain and what helped us through those times was a strong family base, which meant that was also a strong base within the church. And you see the church is uh, is suffering as well. Uh, you don't see the same amount of businesses and uh, economic opportunities. And as a matter of fact, you just heard the ladies on The View say that you know, for you to be a successful person <laughs> and, and be black in America, that's that's the exception. That's not the rule. And so when you have that type of mentality out there where everybody is a victim uh, and we don't admit the, the problems and the ills that we see within this community, we continue to accept it. I mean, when was the last time you heard Al Sharpton say anything about fatherlessness or Benjamin Crump or the NAACP? You know, everybody's out there running their lips about white supremacy. I haven't seen a doggone white supremacist go into the black neighborhood and and screw it up and and you know you know killing little black kids and things of this nature. I do know that Margaret Sanger was a white supremacist and a racist, and she founded Planned Parenthood, which is responsible for over 20 million deaths of black babies in the womb since 1973. Oops, but I guess they kind of forget to mention that. You know what's so interesting about that is. To your point, Al Sharpton and uh, Jesse Jackson used to be pro-life. They mm -hmm. used to really speak about life, um, and yet nary a peep out of them now. And that's well, really they, it's that check. Is that check yeah. that the, the left start writing to them? Uh, I mean, the National Action Network, and I think uh, it was Push, Push. Uh, was Jesse Jackson's organization. So all you got to do is follow the money. I mean, Black Lives Matter, you know, follow the money. And, and now look at where that money is gone. They're, they're bankrupt. And so what did they do for the black community other than doing the bidding of the progressive socialist white leftists out there to cause more confusion and more dissension uh, for political advantage and political gain? The only black lives that matter to black lives matter uh, were those that could be leveraged for the, the left's political narrative. That was it. 
you know, uh, I think since the April of 2020 or the summer of 2020 with the whole defund the police and everything like that, and, and you saw the video I did about it, there's been close to now 330 little black children who have been killed uh, in black communities because of gang bullets, stray bullets, things of this nature. I mean, little kids, two years of age and whatever, having their lives snuffed out. Who's talking about that? No one. But it comes back again to the breakdown of the family. It comes back again to how we have devalued the lives of children, where we uh, kill them in the womb. We kill them uh, outside the womb. We uh, sexualize them. And now we want to mutilate them. And we're unwilling to have the hard conversations, I think, because it's so easy to blame the white boogeyman rather mm -hmm. than say, you know, there is an epidemic of fatherlessness. We do have a lot of black on black crime. Uh, all of these issues are plaguing the black community. There are things that we can do to step up and change the trajectory of things. I'm not saying we can do everything, but there are a lot of things that we could do that we have not been doing. And we're mm -hmm. unwilling to talk about it because we would rather say, oh, well, I'm being oppressed and the white mm -hmm. man is keeping me down. There's nothing that I can't do as a black person or, or that you can do. I mean, Tim Scott on The View, when he responded to what they said, um, he said that his grandfather in Sally, South Carolina, had to step off of the sidewalk if he saw a white pump person coming and couldn't even make eye contact with them. Does that happen anymore? No, that doesn't happen anymore. Yeah. So I'm wondering what it is that we're so oppressed that we cannot do as black people. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I mean, no, all of a sudden we have young black kids who can't read, yes. uh, can't do math at grade level, but yet when you get a school choice legislation passed in the North Carolina state house and state Senate, the Democrat governor of North Carolina says that we need a state of emergency. So, you know, I, I don't understand how they're trying to say that there's a certain political party that is working against, you know, black kids when, you know, this other political party has always worked against the black community. And even when you try to rectify these things and try to give people the uh, access to the quality of opportunity, especially with education, uh, the Democrat party shoots it down. And they shoot it down vehemently. When was the last time you heard Randy Weingarten, the head of the uh, teachers union, talk about, you know, giving choice to uh, parents or parent in these, uh, you know, urban centers so that they can get away from some of these failing schools? No. Instead of that, they say that two plus two equals four is racist because math is racist. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, who cares that you can't do math? Math is against you if you're black because it's racist. And so that's this really insidious circular argument that the left comes out with. And somehow we have got to break through uh, and start to get people to understand that this is all to the detriment of who you are. I mean, look at your communities. Look who has been leading these cities. Look at, OK, you, you have Lori Lightfoot and you replace her with someone that's 10 times as worse with this Brandon Johnson guy. Uh, and so why would you go and vote uh, once again against your own best interests? So I, I don't understand it whatsoever. Like I said, I think it's a Stockholm syndrome now. Well, what's sad is that we're seeing, as you alluded to, that Black Lives Matter has collected over $90 million mm -hmm. in charitable donations 
right? And the, the first summer after some of that violence, it was like 464 million or something like that. And all I saw them do was paint Black Lives Matter on a street and then buy them yeah. mansions. I haven't yeah. seen them donate to an HBCU. I haven't seen them pay for any funerals uh, of these notables that they say, oh, we're gunned down in the street by white supremacy or anything. I mean, I haven't seen them step up to pay for any funerals. I haven't seen them do anything with this money. And yet it's this organization that says that they are out for the destruction of the nuclear family. They took that off of their website, but obviously their actions show mm -hmm. that that's still part of the agenda. And so I don't understand how our community is so easily bamboozled by that. Um, and, and, and they don't see and they don't wake up to the fact that this is an organization that doesn't seem to be about any black lives other than their own. And I mean yeah. that by the staff. Well, when we don't force that narrative in the communities, and that's why I hate the word outreach and I believe in the word engagement, you got to be there 24-7, 365 yes. to fight against this narrative. Uh, and, and the Republican Party has failed at that. Uh, they they really have, you know they talk about they have outreach directors and outreach programs but you know they're lacking they they don't do anything consistent and and so you've got to be able to better inform better educate people and better activate them in all communities and stop thinking well we're never going to win the entire black community so why waste the resources it's not about winning the entire black community it's about planting seeds and it's about growing it it's about understanding the tactics of incrementalism which is what the left does very well, but uh, we don't do that so well on our side. So, you know, we're starting to see, as, as your show replicates, more black conservative voices that are out there, but we got to go on these, uh, the black radio stations. We got to go on and, you know, sit down and have a chat with Charlemagne, uh, the God. And maybe I'll have him on my uh, Steph Asselow podcast and see what type of conversation we can have. And, or even if he will accept that invitation. But the thing is, still, we, we've got to do what is necessary to challenge them. Uh, and, you know, maybe you won't get through to them, but somehow somebody will look at that and say, hmm, you know, that's absolutely right. Like Chad Jackson. Chad Jackson, who was the, uh, the, the focal point of the documentary's Uncle Tom, and now he's a top, you know, researcher and everything. He voted twice for Barack Obama. Yes. But until someone challenged him and asked him, you know, have you ever really sat down and studied the party platforms and, and, and just looked at your principles and values and see where they're aligned? And when he honestly did, he realized I'm on the wrong side. So we've got to be able to challenge people. And that's true. Coming back to the church where we've got to challenge these pastors to get out there and start speaking out against this evil and this darkness that we see that's going after our children. That's absolutely right. Now, in addition to being a father, you're also a grandfather. Hmm. How are those roles different? Well, you're really talking about a, a different generation. You're really talking about extending your impact and influence, you know, another 50 to 100 years. Uh, and so I think that's the, the big thing. I sit down and I see my two daughters who are now 30 and 26. Uh, they're up, they're on their own. But now I'm looking at my grandson who is two and I got to set the conditions and make sure that he has those opportunities and he can have those achievements and successes when he's 30 or when he's 26. So it just gives you another level of extending that influence 
you know, beyond what you already have. And, and so that's the real measure of who you are as a person, not what you accomplish is what you leave behind is is who you set up for success and so you know i hope that one day you know jackson when he is uh you know a dad uh he can go out and say well i remember old granddad alan west and you know what he did and how he talked to me and he will continue to to push those lessons so you're talking about an incredible generation ex generational extension that's what it means to be a grandparent that's so absolutely right. I see my kids getting older and, you know, it's crazy that my 20 year old who doesn't have a girlfriend, isn't thinking um, about settling down anytime soon, uh, said to me, you know, I, I worry about my kids because mm -hmm. he sees this world that we're in and he sees that kind of dark battle um, and he's planning ahead to be that kind of dad. And we don't really see that in our youth I don't think where they're really planning ahead spiritually for the battle that, that we're engaged in. Well, and again, how fortunate it is that you have a great husband like you have, who is a great father that is talking to them uh, and, and the difference that that makes in their lives that they, you know, are challenged to think beyond the now. Uh, as I always tell people, you know, you don't think about where you are today and what you do waking up tomorrow. You've got to have a five or 10 year type of plan. Uh, so that you can have a roadmap. And so it's so important that we help our young people to establish that roadmap, but then they've got to start thinking about, you know, what will they pass on to subsequent generations? And it, it comes back to what it says in Proverbs 22, 6. Uh, I think it's train up a child the way they should go. And prayerfully, uh, as they grow, they shall not depart from it. That's absolutely right. Now, I want to pivot a little bit. Representative James Comer, uh, chairman of the House Oversight Committee, uh, tweeted out that, quote, the FBI confirmed an unclassified record alleging then Vice President Biden engaged in a $5 million bribery scheme um, is from a credible, highly credible informant and being used in an ongoing investigation. The FBI refused to hand over the doc. I will hold Director Ray in contempt of Congress, end quote. The FBI have been loyal allies to the Democrats for some time now and seem to have done extraordinary things to protect the Bidens uh, and others who seem to be engaging in this kind of behavior. What's your take on this whole thing? Well, the FBI has become a completely political, ideological organization, and it's got to be dismantled and, and reconstructed if, if it's even viable anymore going forward. And so I think that that's one of the things that every single candidate on the Republican side, they need to be talking about. How do you go back and restructure government and, and get rid of these ideologues that are there? You know, DOD, ATF, IRS. Uh, Department of Justice, FBI, all CIA. I mean, we've got these intelligence agencies that signed on to the letter saying that the uh, Hunter Biden laptop was, you know, Russian disinformation. So the the political progressive leftist mentality has uh, really infiltrated there. So uh, you know, when I look at what is happening there with the FBI, first and foremost, just think about how, you know, during the Trump administration. 
all of these things that were said about Donald Trump, all of these things that quote unquote, yeah. these FBI agents, uh, you know, Andrew McKay, Peter Strzok, Lisa Page, Bruce Orr, all of them uh, down the line, but none of them, and uh, uh, Comey, uh, none of them were held accountable. And we know yeah. that everything that they did was wrong. It was, it was not based upon fact. As a matter of fact, it was based upon, you know, political operations uh, from the Hillary Clinton campaign. Now, uh, but the left would say, well, Donald Trump's a Russian agent, and, and they ran with all of this stuff. Uh, Adam Schiff ran with all of this stuff, knowing that it was not correct. But now all of a sudden we have this truth that we can back up. We have these uh, suspicious activity reports, these financial reports. We know that there are shell companies set up by the Biden family, and there's you know tens of millions of dollars flowing to, through to them. If an inkling of that had happened in, in truth, with Donald Trump and his uh, to uh, his children, they would have been screaming bloody murder. I mean, they were screaming bloody murder over a lie. And so there are two levels or two uh, systems of justice now in the United States of America. It's the system of justice for the leftists, and they say that we're above the law, and it's everybody else uh, who does, does not conform to their ideological agenda, we're gonna hold you accountable. You know, the Southern Poverty Law Center just came out. <laughs> you know exactly what I'm going to say. Yes, the Southern Poverty Law Center just came out with a new list of hate groups that are all parental rights organizations. I mean, give me a moms break. Moms for Liberty? I've yeah, met moms, some of those ladies. I me mean. too. <laughs> but, but it's just the same as parents who don't want to see the indoctrination of their children. Domestic now terrorists, they're yeah. domestic terrorists, but yet Antifa, James Revenge, all of these people out there, they're perfectly fine. So there's this two tiered system of justice is based upon what you believe in. Uh, and as long as you're conforming to the, to the left, if you're in opposition to the left, then you're on a list. Uh, this is, this is sad. This is some communist stuff that we're dealing with. This is East German Stasi state, type of uh type of occurrences that we're having and i will tell you that the fbi is starting to resemble uh, a state police type of organization well now you wrote for uh, townhall.com that quote the fbi has found itself showing up on the doorsteps of pro-life activists we know that it even had agents infiltrating the catholic church all because of supporting the first unal unalienable right life for the unborn and for the born and unborn. However, it seems that the FBI cannot seem to infiltrate the organization Jane's Revenge, which claimed responsibility mm -hmm. for firebombing pro-life advocacy centers and vandalizing churches, end quote. Between that and the revelations contained in the Twitter files and all of the stuff that we're seeing now with uh, the Comey uh, revelation, Comer revelations and, and all of these other things. Um, it would appear that the FBI is the enforcement uh, arm of the Democrat Party. What yeah. can we, the people, do? I mean, things that we can actually do. Well, I think we need to support these whistleblowers and the courage that we saw of those three who sat there before the uh, House uh, committee uh, looking into uh, government intrusion and government overreach, things of that nature. I think that we need to start having these conversations and getting more truth out there because, look, right or left, we should not have a federal government agency that is out there punishing opposition. Uh, and I think that the people on the left need to be very concerned because 
what for the sake of retribution if a Republican you know administration comes in and do the, they do the same to them uh, and and some some would say we we should do the same to them but it has to be based upon the rule of law uh, and not the rule of politics not the rule of ideology so I will tell you that we've got to do a better job of getting the truth out there every one of us is a media source and we need to let people know that uh, you don't want to live in a surveillance state. You don't want to live in a, in a state where you, and I don't mean a physical state, but the state of governance, where someone can show up on your doorstep and they can raid your house in the middle of the night with armed SWAT team members and things of this nature. For what? Because you stood in opposition, you exercised your First Amendment rights, you know, the right to petition government for redress of grievances, uh, freedom of expression, freedom of speech, freedom of religion, even. So uh, we have got to have these conversations and we can't just sit around and depend upon politicians to do it. And, you know, that's exactly right. And I would encourage people to join Moms for Liberty and other groups like yes. that. Um, some of the things that you've been talking about on your podcast recently, you've had guests at the municipal level, people that are running for city council, people that are running for school board. Mm -hmm. And those uh, have been very well received because people want to feel like they have some sort of control over this because it, mm -hmm. it, to be labeled a domestic terrorist was really concerning yeah. to me as somebody who homeschooled her three kids uh, because I don't want my children to be indoctrinated by, you know, people that are inserting uh, their own personal pronouns. I mean, as kids are learning language, they're acquiring language. And as we talked about, they're not doing well in school. They're not doing well in the basics like reading mm -hmm. and math. And you're confusing them by saying that a guy is a woman, you have to call him she and her. Uh, it, it just seems crazy to me, but I would mm -hmm. encourage people to watch your podcast um, no, and also you. to join organizations like Moms for Liberty and, and other organizations get involved in your local party at the local municipal level, run for school board, run for these offices, because that is the only way that you can have input into the government that you want. I mean, we're supposed to mm -hmm. have a representative democracy in this constitutional republic so yeah you're absolutely right not add uh, county commissions to that as well because we forget the local level of governance and that's the level of governance that touches us most closely and is so important with a lot of decisions that you know happen right here in our everyday lives so it is about being activated it is about being engaged and it is about supporting candidates that will go out there and be representative of you and not representative of their own self-interest or special interests. And as you say that, you know, it made me think of something. Our county commissioner, who actually serves as one of the elders at the church that I attend, but we have a county commissioner here in my county. And he said something because the commissioner for my precinct uh, wants to add some kind of pride event to hmm. to honor pride month in the at the county level and this commissioner pushed back and said you know mm -hmm. lovingly i have to tell you this is what the scripture says about homosexuality and i can't as a man of god as a man who believes in faith and scripture i can't do that and he he had a very long eloquent post that he posted on his government page and um not that I was surprised by that because I know him, um, but I was surprised to see someone 
be so willing to, you know, I really don't care what happens to me in my government role. I'm going to honor God first. Um, well, and I know you've been doing some of that on your podcast as you've been honoring people who have taken a stand rather than doing what is politically expedient or convenient. No, you're absolutely right, because uh, you're going to stand in judgment, not before a president or someone here on earth. You're going to stand in judgment for, before the Supreme Judge. And that's, you know, our, our Heavenly Father. And I think it's also great uh, that Christians and important that Christians remember the words of uh, Romans 12 and 2, that you're not supposed to conform to the world, but you're supposed to transform by the renewing of your mind. Uh, and so it is not just about going out there saying we're going to go along to get along. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not go along to get along. And even though they were cast into the fire, guess what happened? Uh, it became the, the world's first tanning salon, and they uh, ended up coming out of it. And Daniel, he did not conform, even when they said that you had to bow down and give prayer to Nebuchadnezzar. He said, no, can't do that. And it became the first petting zoo when they put him in there with the lions. And so it's important that we say, you know, you know, we got a standard and we're going to plant our flag here on this standard. And going back to what we talked about, Christians need to reclaim language. They need to reclaim their symbols. The rainbow was a symbol of a covenant between God and man, God and Noah at that time. It's not this symbol that we see flying all over the place in this month. And so Christians got to stand up and, and reclaim these things. And they got to make their voices heard and stop, you know, kowtowing under stuff. You're intolerant. You don't love anybody, blah, 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 because that's what the left tries to do. That's what evil tries to do. That's what Satan tries to do uh, in leveraging, you know, your your scripture against them. So you got to study up uh, so that you can combat any tactic that they use to try to undermine your faith and your belief system. I want to wrap up by pivoting to. Uh, the border. In town mm. hall, you wrote that our country has officially entered into a state of being overrun, adding that, quote, we have reached a point of calling out broken arrow, end mm -hmm. quote. Please explain that reference for our audience in this, who yeah. may have missed this brilliant piece that's available at allenwest.substack.com, by the way. Well, thank you so much. Broken arrow, if you remember the movie, We Were Soldiers, it was a code name for when a unit was overrun, so that all available resources could come to their aid and assistance to get to help them in fighting the enemy back that had penetrated into their lines and seeking to uh, overrun their position. Uh, and that's where we are. We This is a broken arrow moment. When you have six or seven million uh, people that have come here illegally into our country, when our border is wide open, I don't care what uh, the Homeland Secretary Mayorkas is saying, mm -hmm. maybe that's the reason why the uh, Border Patrol Chief, Raul Ortega, or Ortiz is stepping down because he cannot continue to live this lie. Uh, we've got some issues. Uh, and, and how interesting it is that in New York City now we have the mayor there, Eric Adams, talking about housing illegal immigrants in people's homes. Uh, but yet no one has ever talked about a homeless veteran bringing them into your home and helping them to get a fresh new start. So we are affording people that are here illegally who have broken the laws of our sovereignty uh, to have free taxpayer payer benefits. And now we're talking about, you know, sheltering them in our own homes, not to mention the money that we're spending, taxpayer money, 
uh, putting them in hotels and things of this nature. So we got to get back to a point where we protect our, our lives, protect our borders. We don't allow ourselves to be overrun. Uh, but I am very concerned because Republican or Democrat doesn't matter. No one is standing up and doing what is right on this issue. And I don't care about Governor Abbott or Governor DeSantis putting people on buses and planes and sending them to another place. You're just aiding and abetting human trafficking. The most important thing you should be doing is repatriating them back across our southern border. That's absolutely right. If you're just joining us, our guest this segment has been Lieutenant Colonel Alan West. Alan, please tell our listeners how they can find you online and follow your work. Well, you just mentioned the Substack, and then we also have the podcast Steadfast and Loyal, which you can see at YouTube and Rumble, and we're on all the social media platforms uh, except for that TikTok because that's controlled by the Chinese Communist Party. As always, it was great to have you as a guest. We hope to see you soon. Absolutely, Marie. God bless. God be with you. And now it's time, uh, that part of the show where we bring in the man of the hour. DK, come on in. Hey. Hey, how are you? Oh, it's Batman today. I always have to look and see what we're doing this week. (laughs) Oh, that was a great interview with Alan West. I mean, he's always great, you know? Yeah, he's always great. I've don't think I know of a more impressive person in politics than Alan West and his podcast, uh, Steadfast and Loyal, which is how I normally follow his views. I think I think that's one of the best podcasts you'll find anywhere, especially on YouTube. So, well, except our podcast, our podcast is pretty good too. Yeah, so. well, he's one of the best. Cool. We are the best podcast. So. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> so, it's a great podcast. Follow pod. Follow. Uh, Follow both of us. That's right. So what are we going to talk about today? You've been watching the news lately. Yeah, What's going on? It's not just news. I've been listening to your interview with uh, Colonel West, and you guys hit upon a lot of great points. One of the points uh, you hit upon that I like to underscore is this uh, feud between parents, especially Christian parents, and the transgender movement. And there was a story uh, I saw uh, early this morning I wanted to bring to your attention. So this happened in California, of course. (laughs) (laughs) Wendell, California. Oh, boy. Everything happens. You knew it had to be California. And you so, know, now Glendale, you know why I moved. So <laughs> in Glendale, they had a uh a, a parents meeting with uh, the local school board, and the parents apparently wanted to know what their kids were being taught. Why why are their kids coming home with these uh trans kids are sexy t shirts? Yeah, stuff yeah. along that line and all these trans books, you know, the, the gay books with the explicit sex scenes and, and so forth. So For nine-year-olds, yeah. Yeah, and they, they went to the school board and they want to know the, the school curriculum. I mean, what's the agenda behind teaching their kids this stuff? And these are, the article makes clear, it's, it's mostly Hispanic and Armenian parents, so they're very heavily Christian. And that's what they want their kids to be taught. Uh, you know, 
they want to be taught more in the lines of their Christian faith, which they should have a right to do. Yeah, absolutely. And what a great report on this topic. Andy, Andy No has a, he tweeted this. I want to show the video. If I can blow it up. Oh boy. Wow. Okay. So these are parents, you know, like you and Sro, people who are yeah. the kids loving schooling, concerned about the welfare of their kids, and the people they're fighting are Antifa. You know, they're showing up to these board meetings with the full Antifa gear, the the black garb, the mask on, the the batons, I guess, and they're attacking the parents who want to have more of a say in how their kids are being taught. Um, so that. That just underscores so much of what's happening in this country with parents being designated as domestic terrorists, um, being in these parent groups, like you just mentioned, being infiltrated by uh, the FBI, Moms, Moms for Liberty, I think you said. Yep. And it's, 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 getting, it's getting to be very scary out there. It is very scary. And I have to say, you know, as a mom who homeschooled her kids, that, you know, parents have the absolute right to educate their children as they see fit. They have the absolute right to be able to be at a school board meeting to provide input. I remember as a kid, you know, it was the PTA, the P standing for parents. So they have an absolute right to be able to say that, you know, in this community, this is what we want. It's supposed to be a partnership. I remember when my kid was, uh, my oldest child was maybe 18 months, I think, two years old. And the pediatrician told me something I didn't particularly like. Um, and I felt like, you know, hey, I'm the mom. I'm with this child all day, every day. And I'm telling you something. Um, and I felt like, you know, parents should be partners in this and we should be able to come up with a plan together. Now, obviously you've got medical knowledge. You know, I don't, I didn't go to medical school, but I live with this child and I'm telling you that, you know, X, Y, Z is going on. And, you know, I, and I switched pediatricians because I felt like as a parent, I should be able to say something and have my credibility not questioned, but that we should, you know, tell me more about that. Huh, maybe I need to, you know, do this test or do that or whatever, rather than make me feel like I'm, you know, oh, you're just a parent. You know, I'm sorry, but just a parent. Um, there is an epidemic, as we talked about with Alan West, you know, of fatherlessness, but also disproportionately in the foster care system, um, because we have parents who are unable or unwilling to appropriately care for their child. And that involves nurturing 
and supporting their development and their growth. So to have these people who play such a critical role and all of this stuff that we're seeing with transgenderism, with all of this other stuff, a lot of it stems from the fact that they didn't have great relationships with their first caregivers. Who would those be? Oh, yeah, those would be parents. And so when that relationship doesn't work out exactly right, there are a lot of problems. And this gender dysphoria is one of those problems. Mental illness, all of these conditions have their genesis, their roots in what happens in, in the first life of a child. Um, you know, we, I, my background is in early childhood education. And one of the things that we studied, we studied, you know, all of these orphanages in Eastern Europe and that kind of thing. And where these kids didn't receive nurturing, a child cried and no one picked it up, you know, those kinds of things. So parents play a critical role. And now to be told that I'm a domestic terrorist, now to be treated like I'm some kind of white supremacist, or there was an article about homeschooling leads to white supremacy. Do I look like a white supremacist to you? Do I sound like a white supremacist? I mean, did I teach my kids about white supremacy? Absolutely not. I actually taught them the appropriate black history, not that, you know, the 1619 stuff, but actual appropriate black history. My youngest, as you know, studied Capoeira, which is the study of the Afro-Brazilian slave trade. Tell me how many kids study that in school. Even these woke schools don't even do that. So, you know, that angers me to see when parents are treated like they don't know anything or that, you know, uh, I, I've seen some parents, uh, teachers talk down to these parents and, you know, oh, well, I have this pedagogy and I studied, you know, under master teachers and I have these advanced degrees. It's just like that doctor. And I am the parent and I'm giving you some information that you need about this child for us to be able to work together for the child's benefit, not for yours, not for the teacher's union, as Alan West suggested, but for my child's benefit. And we've got kids that still cannot read and write at grade level. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I touched upon this a little during our last live stream, but someone like me, I think I'm pretty libertarian on these issues. Um, I supported gay marriage, you know, I. I I support the right of trans athletes to compete in in sports if they're choosing. I I'm against women. No, against men. Okay, I'm in, like or the biological sex. Okay, we were gonna have to duke it out right now. <laughs> no, no, my point my point is the same. I think if someone like Steph Curry decides he's trans, then he's why do you have to course. go with Steph Curry? Why can't it be somebody on one of your teams? LeBron James. Okay, there you go. Tomorrow, well, you just got, he you just got the alligator purse. So I'm just saying. <laughs> if LeBron yeah. James decides tomorrow he wants to be LeBron James, and he wants to be identified as she, him, or she, her, whatever pronoun he wants to use, he still has a right to play sports on the Lakers. He does not have a right to play sports against women in the WNBA. Okay. Name it a lot of track, track athletes. I just want to make that point because when you hear the arguments and the protests, they're always saying that people like me, we want to prevent athletes from the right to participate in sports, which is completely untrue. If you're a man, if you decide you want to be a trans woman, you can still compete against other men in your sports, whether it be track, boxing, basketball, and so forth. 
well, now I'm very conservative on this issue and I mm. am not for same sex marriage. Um, but I have never said that I don't think that trans people shouldn't be able to compete in a trans league or with other guys. If it's a guy, I mean, it's mainly guys that do this. I don't see too many women, although, you know, there are a couple exceptions, but I don't see why they couldn't continue to, if LeBron James decided that he wanted to be a woman, why he couldn't still play on the Lakers. Yeah, um, as you as know. long as he's not trying to do it in high heels, why not? <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> That's a mental image. I I, I better stop. <laughs> what but else my, are we gonna? Go but ahead. my point is that when you hear them argue, they always create the straw men. It's like people like you and I. We want to create all this harm to trans people. Like we want to prevent people from competing in sports, voting, having homes, and so forth. And which is, which is, which couldn't be further from the truth. I mean, I believe they have a right to have drag shows, for example. The only thing that makes me a transphobe in their eyes is I don't believe they have a right to have five-year-olds in the audience. Um, so it's just a matter of what, what line you're willing to cross. I don't want to cross any line that comes to children, um, but, and, and they do. A lot of them do. Um, and the interesting thing about this is that if you ask the typical gay person or the trans person, they would they would express views very similar to my views, except that the people you see on the news, this trans lobby who, as you saw from the video, have integrated themselves with Antifa, they have very radical views and they're and they're and they're pushing their views through corporations, through politicians. And through threats of violence, you know, I spoke about this on the live stream. I made a very reasoned argument against why um, drag queens, drag queen shows should be 18 plus. You know, that's not particularly discriminatory. You know, a burlesque show yeah. is, pretty, is pretty similar to a drag show. You, you get a, a woman who dances usually strips down to her uh, lingerie or something like that. Know. You know, well, that's, that's what happens. They, they get a woman who strips down to some sort of lingerie. She dances suggestively on stage. Music is playing and so forth. And it's considered an art form, just like the people say drag shows are an art form. And, and But I pointed out that burlesque shows are 18 plus. Why can't drag shows be 18 plus? Yeah. Everyone will get along. And for that, I was attacked. And then when I mentioned that a lot of the incentive behind pushing drag shows for young kids and having these drag queen story hours, you know, where some some guy with fishnets, a skirt and a blonde wig shows up and with a book he wants to read to third graders, you know, a lot of that has to do with the G word. And I won't say what the G word is, but there's a reason why they are so focused on trying to normalize um, the transgender transgender agenda. And you know what I find interesting is, um, you know, you're seeing a lot of uh, groups, and and that was actually kind of surprising to me to see gays against 
the G word, uh, come out and, and talk about uh, their uh, agenda and actually be supportive and say exactly what you've said. You know, these are adult events for adults and this whole thing of bringing children in um, is wrong. And so um, I'm hopeful that within the community itself, uh, they will come up with some solutions because I think that's just absolutely wrong to involve these kids. Yep. Hopefully we can have a representative from that group on our show. It would kind of be hard to do because we can't actually name this <laughs> group, you know. Gays from the G word that rhymes with rumor. Yeah. yeah, we call them gays against broomers, and maybe we can have them on the show one day, and, and they can uh, they can express their views to us, and uh, you know, in a positive way. They should be heard. Yeah, I think they speak for the majority of the gay community. So, I'd love to have one on the line. Well, until then, we are wrapping up this episode of African American Conservatives, the Soul of the conservative movement. Well, thanks for listening. It was another great show. This is DK signing off until next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of African American Conservatives, the soul of the conservative movement. You can find us online at acons.substack.com, anchor.fm forward slash AACONS, and also, you can support our work at anchor.fm forward slash AACONS forward slash support.